Welcome to Sailing Legends Podcast. This is Diane Allen, your host. And today I have Captain Richard Walters with you. I've known Richard for many years and we've raced together and we sailed together. And he's also a thespian. So he's got all kinds of talents and sailing in the water is like in his blood. So we're going to talk a little bit today about Richard's experience in sailing and in the world. He just got back from a long race. I'm sure we'll get to hear about some of that and whatever else comes up. So welcome to the show, Richard. Well, thank you for having me on, Diane. It's so fun. And it, Richard's coming to us from the office of the Boca Ciega Yacht Club because he's just been working on his boat all day in the Florida sun and he's stopping just to talk to us. How is that, right? <laughs> yeah, so, I'm really wet from this, from here down. I'm soaked. <laughs> <laughs> so how about if we start out with a little bit about your earliest memories of sailing? When did you learn how to sail? How was it? Did you like it? Give us well, a flavor of your beginnings. Uh, I worked for, I was an electrical engineer and I worked for General Electric in Syracuse, New York. And I had a buddy that had a, uh, I think it was a 34 foot, I don't recall the brand, but it was a 34 sailboat that he was on Lake Ontario. And I would go up on the weekends and sail with him. And one weekend he decided he had to move the boat for about an eight hour sail to one side of the lake. And I remember that day that while I was on the water, it was real swelly, real slow swells, and you, real slow swells. And I got so seasick, he said I turned every color in a rainbow. <laughs> and I said to myself, God, if I don't know if I'm going to love this sport. Could I ever get over getting seasick? And, uh, and that after a while I did, and we would sail on and off on the weekends. And then uh, what got me, let me just fast forward. I worked for, at, at Lockheed Martin, and I moved and transferred to Ocala, Florida. And I always wanted to live in Florida because uh, in the service, I met a guy from Daytona and he got me into the Jimmy Buffett lifestyle. And we had a, we, we were in the service together up at this first special operations wing up in the panhandle, Herbert Field, uh, not too far from Fort Walton Beach. And he would play Jimmy Buffett and all I had, I just dreamed about, you know, the whole Jimmy Buffett sailing lifestyle. So years later, I was up in Syracuse freezing my butt off and I'm at GE and, and it's snowing like hell outside and, and the, the security guard comes by and goes, you better get out of here. You're going to sleep on the desk tonight. So all I could think of is I have to get away from this cold climate, dreary, overcast for 10 months and get into the sun. So I got on my Harley at the time and I uh, rode down to, to Daytona. And, uh, and shortly after, found a boat, my first boat. And my first boat was a 37-foot Irwin Mark III center cockpit. Now, I had never sailed something that big, but I'm never one to start off slow. I just get into it and do it. So uh, I met some people down in New Smyrna, and I moved the boat permanently to New Smyrna, and I was a liveaboard there. And uh, from there, I got to go to the Bahamas with the people that lived there. So every year around Christmas time, we'd take off to the Bahamas for about a month. And that was awesome. Uh, and it was just, it was just like trial by fire. I had taken the power squadron classes, some of those classes. I hadn't gotten my license yet, my, my master's license. This came years later. And uh, ended, up, ended up just going over to the Bahamas. 
And I have one great story. Uh, I have a nickname called Captain Stanbar. And you know my nickname, Diane. Right. I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> well, how I got that nickname, and I didn't make it up. I had a director at, uh, at, Lock at Lockheed Martin make it up. Um, I was over in the Bahamas with my dad. And uh, my dad was with me and I had a girlfriend and, uh, and we had just gotten through West End and we were just coming around the point to go up into the Abacos chain. And we were tired and I finally anchored next to a small uninhabited island. Now in the Bahamas, you're supposed to dive your anchors and set them in real well. Well, I was so tired, I didn't do it. So we went to bed and about four in the morning, I got up and I just didn't feel something was right. You know, when you have a boat for a while, you, you hear everything, you know, little, mm -hmm. the engine's not running or something's loose. You, you know, you have to pick those things up. So I went to the companionway and I flipped the hatch open and there was a palm tree like right there. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> and I said, uh, it's a little closer than I want it to be. So what happened was a sweat, a, a, a storm had, a, a, a kicked up during the night and pushed my boat up onto the island and I drug anchor. And for the next six to eight hours, I ran roads and chain and anchors out into the water and cranked and cranked on the winches uh, just to keep the boat in one place. And then the tide went out and the whole boat just heeled over like this. And, the, and I dogged down and closed all my hatches, but the water's hitting the boat like this, you know? Mm. And I couldn't do anything because the I had to wait till the tide came back in. And I remember my dad was in the back cabin and he's, his, his, he was leaning his feet up against the mizzen mast uh, uh, support post because, you know, the boat's sideways at this point. And he's writing, he's writing something. I'm like, Dad, what are you writing? And my last will and testament. I'm like, Dad, 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 we will get out of here. Don't worry about it. Whatever I got to do, we'll get us off this island. So, like I said, it took hours and hours. And every, t every hour I'd go out and crank on the winch a little bit more to try to pull the bow around. Slowly but surely, the tide came in. The boat came back up and I had everything tightened down. But Irwin, Ted Irwin in his infinite wisdom, designed a boat with a rudder lower than the keel. And that's not such a good idea. So my keel was free, but when I dove under the boat, I had about this much still hitting the, hitting the limestone ledge. So one technique you can do to get yourself off of that is run your halyard off the main to an anchor and try to pitch, here's your boat like this. You want to pitch it over so you can kick your rudder out. So we did that. And uh, once we got free, my dad yelled back. He goes, which way should I go? I said, dad, away from the island. <laughs> <laughs> right. So anyway, we got all the chains back up. And during that night, I've been calling Pan 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 to try to get some help. And uh, we had gone with a friend of mine named, named, uh, it's, it's what her name was. Uh, I forgot their name now. Anyway, at the moment, I'll, I'll remember their name in a second. And he had another group of people. And I had been calling on the radio all night. Well, my dad looked up at the next small island and he saw a mast. And I said, there's nobody out here, dad. It's, we're the only ones in this area. He goes, no, there's a mast. Look, there's a mast. So I looked up. I said, you know, dad, you're right. So as we went around the island, 
when you when you know it was my friends? They were like less than a quarter of a mile where we had run aground, and they were there. And I and I and I told them, I said, "What are you guys doing? Weren't you on the radio?" And they said, "No, nah, we were at a party, and we didn't have the radio on." So anyway, that was an adventure. Wow. So when I so when I got back from the Abacos years probably six months later. Uh, my director called me for a meeting. He goes, hey, Captain Sandbar, come on up to the office. We have a meeting. And I'm like, Captain Sandbar, what's that all about? <laughs> so his name is Joe Moscato. I says, Joe, what's this Captain Sandbar? He goes, oh, I heard about your escapades in the Bahamas getting blown on the island and getting it off and all that. And that's my little nickname for you. So that's how I got the name Captain Sandbar. Oh, now let's right. fast forward years later and I still have the same boat, but now I'm on the West coast of Florida, uh, and in Gulfport. And I joined the Boca Sega yacht club in 2008 when we moved, when I moved here with my wife, uh, she said, Hey, there's this yacht club down the road, giving free hot dogs and soda. I'm like, I'm there. You know how guys are, right? Anything right. free. We're there. So, uh, you, you've been there, Diane, to BCYC. It's, it's like old Florida. You know, it's not the typical, typical prim and proper yacht club. You know, no one's wearing jackets and fancy hats. You know, we're all T-shirts, flip-flops. And when I walked in, they had life rings with everyone's boat name on them up, on the, up in the rafters. And it was just really laid back. They don't even have air conditioning. Matter of fact, we still don't have air conditioning. So that day, I joined the Boca State Yacht Club and uh, became a member. And uh, I remember on my birthday around October 17th, we had a big storm kick up. And my boat at the time was out at anchor because they didn't have a slip big enough for my 37 foot boat. So I had it out at anchor. Well, guess what happened? It drug anchor again and headed over to the beaches on the uh, at the condo, now the condos on the east side of the Boca Sega Bay here and decided to run aground. And I got a call by some friends saying, hey, you know where your, your boat is? I said, yeah, it's out an anchor right there. No, no, it's more, it's becoming a, a condo, condo site. And so, so I went out there with the safety boat and realized that it was way up there. It got blown way up there. So I remember every morning before work, I'd get my dinghy, my dinghy, and I would dig in front of the boat. Of course, you don't want to dig because the EPA gets all freaked out. So I did it in the morning so no one would see me. So I dug a little trench all the way out to deeper water and it took about two weeks we we're waiting for a really high high tide and it had, happened around one o'clock in the morning we had 13 boats out there and a power boat trying to pull me off i had already pitched the the the, the, the uh, mast over and uh, we're in the power boat and and i remember i you know um um guy o'connor you know guy right mm -hmm. yeah. him and i are in the safety boat and we're right next to this power boat. And all of a sudden, my Irwin, which was called Vitalist, that was the name of my boat, Vitalist. All of a sudden, it's the, the, the line that we had to pull it off was getting really thin, like a guitar string. All of a sudden, it came and started pulling and it came loose. Well, what happened is the power boat was full throttle and the power boat just kept doing this. And it almost knocked me and Guy in the water. Oh, <laughs> so, no. What an adventure. Uh, oh, it's crazy. So guy brought me up to the side of the boat and I was able to get on and, and, you know, get the road pulled in and, and re-anchor it. And, and so, so now that 
years years before I got ran aground. Now this time I ran aground, so the sandbar thing kind of stuck. So now everyone knows I'm sandbar, Captain Sandbar, Sandbar, whatever. Um, so um, it's just it's just kind of stuck now, and it is what it is. But I'm a master at getting off the sandbars. So right. if anyone, so, if you, anybody's yeah. listening, if you get stuck on a sandbar, give me a holler. Right, because Captain Richard can help you. So let's talk about um, the value of fellow sailors and the community that you've experienced, both in the trip to the Bahamas and over, over in Pinellas County at Boca Cia Yacht Club. What, what's the meaning of all of this to you? Do the, you know, how is, how well, are they important in your life? Well, for me, um, I was missing that whole, whole community after I left New Smyrna and came to the West side here. Um, and, for a long time, I didn't didn't even realize Boca Cia Yacht Club existed, and I was working as an engineer, and my boat was just sitting there, you know, growing moss, and uh, without an anchor, and uh, and then, like I said, my my wife said, "Hey, this is this club having a fun day. We have an annual fun day where we give people sailboat rides for free." So we went, and like I said, I I joined that day because when I walked in the door, it felt like home, you know. It wasn't pretentious. It was all laid back. People were real friendly. So over the years, I've gotten to know so many people through the club, either through PHRF racing or through club events. Uh, we have themes. We have theme dinners. Uh, we, do a, uh, we do a raft up every year. So it's like part of my life now. I can't, I can't, I can't think of it not being, being in my life. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's part of me now. You know, I, I, I've been the Commodore. I've been vice Commodore. I've had many, many positions here and it's like my little family, you know, we help each other out when we need help and uh, go sailing. We cruise every month someplace. Just, it's just awesome. Oh, that's I'm so glad to have that. How did you get into racing? Well, years and years ago, uh, um, Joel Hine, as you know, you know, Joel, mm -hmm. the master racer, he asked me to be part of the Prime Plus crew. <laughs> and so I got on Frank Hanna's boat. That's Frank Hanna's boat. It's called Prime Plus. It's a 40-foot Beneteau. And I started doing, working on the Ford deck with a guy named Skip. And Skip was a wild man. He was such a nice guy. He taught me how to put a spinnaker up, how to jive the pole, how to adjust the sails, pretty much everything on the foredeck. And, and so I raced with, with them for a while. And then uh, a little bit later, uh, a friend of mine, Steve Honor, had an opening on his crew on Shady Lady. And, and I always wanted to race with Steve Honor because those guys really always have a great time. And, and he sails to, in the Bone Regatta and, and West PHRF circuit. So I became a member of the Shady Lady crew. And uh, we've done so many, many, many races and many of the Bone Island regattas together. And that's how I got into racing. And I just love it because one th a lot of people say, well, I'm not a racer. You know, I just sail my boat. Well, I tell people, if you learn how to race and know how to really trim your boat, you can become a better cruiser. Mm -hmm. And I always say, the faster you get to the happy hour, the better. So, so right. it's well, all. My mom used to say that when we were younger, because my parents were master sailors, and they'd say, "If you learn how to race and you get really good at trimming your boat and you can have speed, if you're cruising, 
down the road and you have an emergency or trouble or something's going on, you can get in faster. You can get to safety faster if you know what you're right. doing and you know the boat. And racing demands that of us to really have a, a different kind of knowledge set that I think totally complements cruising. Well, you're, you're kind of, um, you're always thinking 10 steps ahead when you're racing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's like a chess game out there, you know. Can I do? Can I? Can I lay that mark? And and you know, look. Watch. You get. You know, get a lift. Get a. You know, you get. You got to read the wind. You, you learn so much when you race because when you cruise, you just most time people motor cruise. You know, they got the motor going and the autopilot, and they're having a martini. You know, but that's not really sailing. Uh, when you can get a boat, what I call get it in its slot. You know, heeled over at its certain angle that gives it the maximum waterline. And it's just everything is balanced just right. And you hear that water rushing past the hull. It's just like it's like being in a dream. I love it. Right. Oh, I love that too. You're saying that, and I'm like, oh yeah, there's nothing better than that, than that being in that flow like that. So do you have any racing stories that pop in your mind that you would like to share of something you've even either learned or overcame or some exciting adventure from your racing time? Uh, yeah, well, let me think about this. Um, well, I have one of Shady Lady, and um, we we always wear harnesses at night, and um, and during the day sometimes we won't wear the harness because you know if we fall overboard you usually can get you. But I wasn't wearing a harness during the day one day, and we had taken a a wake that knocked me over the lifelines. And I don't know how I got back on the boat, but somehow I grabbed the lifeline and kicked my feet back up. And Steve said, you were gone one second and the next second you were back. How did you do that? So it was like a magic trick. I was gone and then back. And quite frankly, I don't know how I did it either. Uh, But uh, you really have to be aware of your surroundings when you're racing. You gotta watch for trip hazards. You have have to be strapped into the jack lines for safety, especially at night. And then the most recent race was this past Bonan Regatta that I just got back from a couple of days ago. And I raced with a, a, a on an island packet 31 and with some friends, Gary, Gary uh, Rhodes and uh, uh, Kathy Longacre. And, and so then a couple of Tell everybody a little bit about the Bone Island Regatta. Where did you start? Where were you going? Give a little bit. Okay. Um, I had done a bunch of the Bone Island Regattas with Steve and we started at different places sometimes uh, Tampa, sometimes Venice, some down Sarasota. But this start was in Venice. So it was racing from Venice to Key West. And, uh, and I had done a bunch of them. And these friends of mine had never raced their boat. They raced on my boat, but they didn't know tactics. They didn't know, they, they didn't know a lot about racing, even though they, they were on my boat. Um, so some people were, were going to, they were, they had asked some other people, but they really wanted me to go. So they asked me again. I said, okay, we'll go. And, um, and they learned a lot because I like to teach people and tell them why we're doing things. You know, why are we doing this? Why are we setting the pole this way? Why are the whisker pole that is, uh, why are we trimming the sails this way? Uh, why do we tack a certain way? You know? And so as I was going, I thought, what can I tell them that they may not know? And so I think, we were a really good team. We all worked well together. And so we started an island pack at 31. If anybody knows, it's not a tacking boat. It's a, it's a more downwind boat. It's a solid boat. It's heavy duty. And this particular keel 
is kind of flat at the bottom. And this year we had mostly a following sea and a northern wind. Uh, so this, this boat loved that because we had some swells behind us that it just was skating down. We were just surfing down swells and we had the, had the, a boat, we had the jib and the main on either some, both sides of so a wing on wing. And we were just hauling. And um, so it was, it was a team effort and uh, it was just a, so much fun. And, uh, and as we were coming up the next Northwest, actually, excuse me, as we coming up Smith's Shoal, as you know, uh, Diane Smith Shoal, oh, yeah. there's a light at Smith Shoal. And, uh, and, and these guys didn't really understand how to read uh, the, the charts. So they saw this 9M, they didn't know what it meant. I said, well, that means nine miles. So you should be able to see that light at nine miles. And we were like at seven miles by now. And I said, this guy's, that light is out. You can guarantee that light out. That light is not lit because it's not been lit other, other years. You remember that, Diane, right? Yep. Oh, yes. I remember looking and looking and we went right by. So it. I told them, you guys got to be really careful because you don't want to hit that. But it's big and it's hard and it's going to hurt your boat. So uh, luckily, the, uh, the race committee had set a waypoint a little to the right of it, maybe 150 feet to give the safe margin. So that was the waypoint we had put into the, the plotter to sail to. So as they were approaching, I was down below and they couldn't find it. They could, couldn't see it. And I got up on deck and looked over and I could just see the faint silhouette of the, of the tower. You know, just a small, and I said, I think it's right there. So as we were approaching, it did find, we were finally able to see it. And then we proceeded to the Northwest Channel going up into Key West. Luckily, we had a beam reach type of wind, so that was nice. We could just run a beam reach. The island packets love a beam reach or a broad reach or a run. Uh, but as we were getting to the end, we had about a quarter of a mile. We had, a, had to turn the port uh, around Tank Island to go up to the, the, uh, the finish. Right. And, and, and Diane, I don't know if you're aware of, sometimes there's a wicked current there. Yes. And if and it's working against Asa, you, it's not funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It was not funny. So Asa said, hey, guys, if we have an outgoing current, it's not going to be fun. So as we we're approaching the turn, um, I told the guys, you got your board down, right? No, no, we don't have our board down. I said, guys, when we're going upwind, we have to have the board down. That's the center board. So they put it down, or at least we thought it was put down. We come to find out later on when we finally finished the race, it never had gotten down. So, so just think we're trying to tack a boat that doesn't tack well anyway into about a six knot current and, and headwind. So we had a tack upwind with no center board and with a boat that doesn't do well tacking anyway. Well, it took us 17 tacks, but we weren't going to give up. Oh, so it, oh, oh, oh. it took us 17 tacks to get, get finally up to the mark. Because every time we tacked, that island packet just did not want to point and got pushed. Every time we would tack, I said to trim up, trim up, trim up, and it would just drift. Away. <laughs> it just it would just drift down, you know. And uh, but we we stuck it out, and uh, we decided we're not giving up. Whatever we got to do, we're going to get to that finish line. And I remember the last few minutes, uh, they were going to go through the red and the green. I says, guys, no, no, we have to go through. We have to take that last red to port between the red and the seawall, because that's the finish line. It's not the, it's not a normal channel. You have to go on the right side. I think it's R27, I think. 
We have to go to, so they almost DNF themselves, but I told oh them, no, God. no, no. So Gary went down and read the sailing instructions, said, Richard, you're right. And I said, well, I know I've done it enough times, <laughs> you know, because, but anyway, we finally got across. We were soaking wet and sweaty and hot and tired, but we were so elated that we finished this race. It was just awesome. And, um, and we finally got to, we were able to relax them. We rolled up the sails, we dropped the main and, you know, just kind of calmed down because one thing about sailing, the adrenaline kicks in and you're just like, you know, it's amazing what you can do, uh, even though you're tired in order to keep the boat, you know, going fast. So right. when we finished, we were able to relax. Oh, you have to relax. How long did it take you to get there? How long were you um, racing uh, from start? To about finish? 40, 41 hours, I think it took us. We got That's in about 6.20. We got across the line at 6.20. And we were, we were, we were actually lighthouse. Uh, we were in the lighthouse class, which was all island packets. And so the end, technically the end of our race was when we hit Smith Shoal, took a picture of the waypoint with, uh, on the GPS and sent them to Alice. Alice is, uh, Alice Petrat is the, uh, was the uh, race coordinator. So, but I asked Alice, I said, Alice, can we still race all the way to the end just to, to do it, you know? <laughs> Uh, and she said, sure. So they get, did give us a whole race count, but even though we were only in the lighthouse uh, class. Oh, lighthouse okay. is more like a fun class, you know, they don't right. make you do the final final run. <laughs> and, uh, but we got second, so that's pretty cool. We got the second place trophy for the lighthouse and I thought that was awesome. Oh, that's really great, especially since the, you know, a lot of the people in the boat were learning from you and things. So what, and what was, what's a lesson that you learned on this trip that you're going to take with you moving forward? Well, when you're on a boat with people, even though you know them, uh, racing a boat can be stressful at times. So you have to be cognizant that people are tired. Um, you know, you don't get a great rest, even though you, you go down below and you, you have so many hours to rest. Some people have trouble sleeping. So everybody is on, on very little sleep and, and tired. And, and some people are not always going to be in the best of mood, you know, so you kind of have to give everyone a lot of room there and, and just realize that. Um, Cause I've been on race teams where, you know, skipper has been kind of hard on the crew, the last minutes of the race. And you just don't want to be that too. You don't want to be that type of skipper for your crew. You want to be someone that, is supportive and 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 understands situations when they come about right uh, so so that's the biggest thing that i learned and i also had to be patient because i realized that you know there was things they wanted to do that i told them that's really not like they like one thing they wanted to follow the rum line you know and i said well the rum line is like for reference you want to keep the boat running fast and a lot another thing they they, they were putting the boat in autopilot downwind which as you know is not a good way of running the boat and i guess until recently they used to not let you use autopilot so apparently that's a change in the rules um but but they learned a lot and they said wow you know if it wasn't for you and asa we wouldn't be able to do this because asa had a lot of experience and so did i so we were able to round out the the team and give them enough support so they were both safe the main thing is being safe out there you know, right. mm -hmm. uh, because there's people who have lost their lives on this race and you just don't want to lose someone or have anybody hurt. So it doesn't matter 
it doesn't make sense to win and then someone get hurt. So the main thing is safety first. Right. And like that one year where that boat sank on the way down. Yeah. I remember I was on that race. I remember that boat sank. Yeah. Right. So how does it feel to be kind of like the mentor teacher, you know, with all the experience you've had where you got to bring like newer racer type sailor people into this world? How did that feel for you to be one of their guides during this? Well, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, it's like you, you don't realize how much you know until you, you, you realize you know how to do it. it it's, so you don't always know, you know, right. Uh, right. Whether, whether you pick it up by watching someone doing something or they physically tell you how to do it, you know, do, racing, sailing, you got to be out there. You can't be in your living room and learn how to sail. You really got to get out on the water. And, uh, and, and I'm very, I was very, I was very happy I was able to help them uh, uh, fulfill a goal that they had, even though they really weren't racers, you know, they, this is a goal they had. And they mm -hmm. said, can you help us obtain that goal? And we did. And that's awesome. You know, yeah. and they did say, you know, we learned a lot from you, so many things, you know, and, and I'm sure they're going to be a better cruisers for it. And I'm still learning, you know, I, I run into Joel and I ask him something and, you know, and he goes, well, why'd you do that? Well, I, I thought of this. He goes, oh, you didn't have to do that. You know, so, I mean, the more you talk to people that have been racing for years and years, you pick up so many good things. And Steve Honor always had these tricks. We had the, we had the, we had the pole trick and we had this trick and that trick. So, you know, and those were top secret. We couldn't tell anybody about it. But, um, but it's just a, it's like a, uh, I don't know. It's, it's just like a society of, of friends, you know, that love the water. It's, once you get into sailing, uh, I don't know, it's, it's nothing. And for me, the water is my life. I'm a, I'm a master diver. I'm a, I have a master's captain's license. The water is my love, you know? So it's not for everybody, but for me, I love it. Oh, that's great. And it's true. It's like an extended family. And when you're ocean racing like that, everybody's lives are dependent on everybody else. You know, like people don't realize sometimes. That's why I asked, you know, give people a reference point. You were sailing for like 40 hours. That's yeah. That's people, I tell people that wasn't yeah. stopping and, and having yeah. uh, drinks along the way. I, I had somebody ask me one time when I was doing the Bone Island Regatta, um, say, well, what do they do? Like put a big floating fence up and you guys like, you know, hang out there and for the night and sleep and get up in the morning and keep going. I go, no, we keep going 24 seven and we have watches right, right. And, and some people have a hard time even understanding that of course, but sailors listen to this podcast more than others. And so they're hearing everything we're getting. But it's, it's an exciting sport for that kind of thing. So what would you say to the person who's listening to us right now, maybe who's a beginner or wanting to learn how to sail and wanting to hear some more sailing stories and they're kind of curious, what would you say to them to get them started? Well, I, I just, I'm not, I think they have to take a sailing class and I'm, I'm going to give a little, a little sales pitch here that our club, Book Sailing Yacht Club, we've been teaching people to sail for since like 1967, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so we've been teaching thousands of people how to sail. So we have a, like a three to four week sales school for adults. And, um, and I suggest there's many, many different uh, sales schools out there. ASA has sales schools. Uh, we have ours. I think St. Pete uh, uh, has one also. So I would search out a, a community that has a sales school and take a class on small boat sailing, keelboat sailing. And I really think our classes, our, our class, our school is pretty good. We have many people that have said we do a good job. 
So if you're not listening from the Pinellas County area and you want to learn how to sail, then go find a local yacht club yep. and start asking around for where can you learn how to sail. And the sailors will be happy to direct you because everybody gets taken into the fold and shown around. Like at Davis Island Yacht Club, we teach people with our Thursday night sailing and Sundays. Mm -hmm. And there's no yacht club that will turn you away from helping you get involved in this sport. You just kind of got to show up and start asking and telling people what you're looking and for. It, and if the families have teenagers, Sea Scouts is the way to get kids into sailing. Mm -hmm. Not only they learn leadership abilities and so many other things, but they learn how to sail. Matter of fact, there's some Sea Scouts that can blow my doors off. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't mess with some of the Sea Scouts. They're very good sailors. And they learn, it's not, they learn basically a part of the Boy Scouts. Mm -hmm. So they learn how to be leaders. They, 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 they learn how to navigate. They learn emergency techniques. And, and the kids that leave Sea Scouts have become, they've gone to the Naval Academy. They've gone to college. They've done all kinds of crazy things. We had some that have gone around the world uh, doing a, um, like a, benefit work and stuff like that and charity work. It's, it's amazing. It's all, we have a, ours is called the Sea Scout Ship 915. And, uh, and it's, it's won many, many awards and, and we're well known in the whole Southeast region. So oh, if really you have cool. a teenager, uh, look for a club that might have a Sea Scout troop. And that's a great organization. Oh, that's a really good idea. So is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you wanted to share with everybody about your lessons, things that you've learned from sailing, the things you appreciate about it and, um, or anything like that? Well, you know, a lot of people will want to get a boat, you know, right away. They all want to get a boat. And I suggest hold off a bit because sometimes you get into sailing and you find out, well, you know, I'm not too crazy about this. You know, I don't like getting all wet and stuff. So I always suggest people get on other people's boat, see if you love it and things like that. And then when you do, if you ever decide to get your own boat, whether to be a small trailerable boat or a boat like I have that has to be in a slip, you got to realize that there's a lot of maintenance on a boat. So the more you can learn about how to maintain a boat, the better you're off mm -hmm. you are. Because the main thing is when you're out in the middle of nowhere and you can fix your boat and get home, that's such a great thing. It just makes you feel so much like you're independent because there's no tow trucks out there. I mean, we do have tow boat U.S. and stuff. But if you're at 100 miles off the coast in Gulf in, in, in the Gulf, uh, you're, you're kind of on your own. You, you got to get your boat home. So it's kind of understanding how to survive and maintain in an environment that can be pretty nasty at times. The weather can really get bad. So you got to really be careful. Weather is key and being safe out on the water. So understanding how the weather operates, uh, what, what are fronts and things like that. Learning weather is really cru cru crucial in becoming a good sailor and safe sailor. Yeah, that's totally true. My, my mother was a master with weather and navigating and we, my brother and I learned to respect the weather and how quickly it can change and how to predict it from the time we were very, very young. And I'm really grateful that she really drove that home to both of us because we carry that with us still where anytime I'm anywhere near the water I know what's going on with the weather and I can see I can look up and look at it I don't need a I don't necessarily <laughs> need a radar or need somebody to say oh the, the you know the weatherman said this this morning because probably that's not what we're going to run into on the water anyway you know it's going to be something different <laughs> oh my gosh so 
what's um, one of the most um, funny kind of calamities that you've experienced on the boat outside of your sandbar situations? Oh God, uh, let me think about this. That you think back now and you kind of laugh and go, oh my God, that was really. Well, <laughs> I can tell you how I got hurt really easy at times. Uh, when, when you get tired on the boat, you do stupid things, you know? And, and I always tell people when, you, when you're working on the boat or you're on the boat and you're getting tired, you need to slow down, you need to heave to or take a break or get off the boat and stuff. And, and I've hurt myself. Gravity takes over really fast. <laughs> And I've cut myself and I've banged myself up on many docks and I've cut myself on oysters and all kinds of stuff falling off boats. So the main thing is to stay on the boat. (laughs) (laughs) And and another thing is don't step on a line. Uh, It's one of the things you learn because because when you step on a line, it can roll out from underneath your foot and then you end up going places you didn't want to (laughs) go. Right. overboard or get yourself hurt or then the line starts yeah. moving too many yeah. things Yeah, I'm surprised I'm still living some days. <laughs> <laughs> See, so it's like you're like a cat. You have nine lives plus. Like that trip. Yeah, I'm, boat, I'm, off I don't want back on it. Yeah, I don't want to push it. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Well, that it teaches us and reminds us to have great respect for the boat, for weather, for the circumstances and for ourselves that we're part of this bigger picture, but um, we need to respect it, all of it. So I want to thank you, Richard, for being on the Sailing Legends podcast and telling us some great stories. I will, I never knew how the Captain Sandbar showed up. That was your name. I knew it probably had to do with the Sandbar, but these Sandbar stories were better than I expected. And I want to thank you for um, stopping the work on your boat and going into the office of the Yacht Club just to do this podcast with me today and share your inspiration, your wisdom, and your stories with us. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Diane. I hope your listeners gained some help in my in my talking and uh, and they got a few laughs along the way too. Oh, I'm I'm sure we did. And so remember everybody that sailing is a beautiful experience. If you're curious, go out there and give it a try. If you're a seasoned sailor like myself or Richard and many of the people on this podcast, take some time to honor your legacy, honor the value of the water, the camaraderie and all that yachting brings to our worlds. And so until the next episode of Sailing Legends, may you have fair winds and following seas.